Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the excellent Sam Bassini of The Athletic and of the Game Theory Podcast, and as you'd expect, he and I primarily discuss the 2024 NBA draft class. It has been an eventful few months for those players, and remember, it started as a very uncertain board, so fun conversation there. And then, of course, we get into a little bit about the trade deadline. Sam and I have talked about that so much over the years, and including on Game Theory itself. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is very, very cool. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course, Danny. I'm glad to be here. It is a beautiful sunny day here in Australia. It's not that hot, which is the key. We're in the middle of summer. And I might actually go for a walk after this. I might, you know, maybe we'll watch the Chiefs Bills game, but like I'm gonna probably take a little walk after this. It'll be great. I am I am jealous. We we I, I, I live in a place that generally has good weather. It's been it's a rainy week for us, but that's okay. Um the thing where I want to start, and we can kind of start with a big picture view, I find this really interesting, is that like the last time you did a big board, the last time we talked about it in terms of the draft, it seemed very uncertain. I haven't been following things super closely. As you know, I don't get into film work until a little bit later in the calendar year. Is it still really uncertain? It kind of feels that way. I think yes. Uh, I think it is still quite uncertain. Uh, I could not tell you who the number one overall pick is going to be. I could tell you like there are favorites who it could be, but I I think that the group is still five or six names, something like that. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of names that really could jump up into that mix. I think Alex Sar is certainly one of them. I think Zach Rizache is certainly one of them. I think Nikola Topic is one of them. He has transferred to Red Star and, uh, you know, has been out for a little minute here. And Alex Sar has been out for a little minute here as well. Uh, there are other college names. Like, I think Cody Williams could really strongly get into that number one overall mix. I think that, you know, so, somebody like Modest Bazelis, like, if the right team just loves his offensive skill set, could go number one. I think I'd be surprised by like Jacoby Walter and Ron Holland and Isaiah Collier and those guys at this point. But I say all this to say that I think that the team that ends up at the top is going to really do like a wide amount of research and bring in a lot of different guys and try and figure out who they think is the best. There isn't like a clear number one. There are a lot of guys that I think are, you know, potential interesting top 10 picks, but probably not a guy in this class yet that has like truly emerged is what I would consider like a no doubter 
top five prospect. And frankly, I, I think that I would not have in last year's class compared to this one. I definitely would not have had anybody in this class in the top five of last year's class. Uh, and honestly, could be more like six, seven or so. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that that's huge. And you think about the ripple effects of that in terms of trading picks, in terms of trading picks at this, at this deadline, in terms of trading picks at draft time. And there is an element of it that could be a little bit freeing for these personnel decision makers and the idea that if you don't think that anyone is necessarily that world beater, then you can go in a different direction. You don't necessarily, and that's not to say like, oh, go with need or anything like that. But the idea that you're not looking for a franchise savior, but somebody who can fit within is potentially, you know, it's dispiriting, but it's also useful for a team like the bottom this year where yes, there are a lot of teams that could use that franchise savior with the, how bad the bottom is, but the Spurs and the Pistons and the Wizards and the Hornets are all going to need multiple good players to get out of where they are. And so, yeah, yeah, you, maybe you, maybe you're not getting your number one this year, but if you can get a number two or number three, who has a skill set that makes sense with your vision of a team, even if you don't know who your number one's going to be, like that could be useful. I think that's right. And like you brought up the bad teams, right? Like Memphis is a bad team this year, but they are by far the one that would be like most interesting to me because they would have a serious significant number of potential things that they could do in terms of potentially trading the pick. Or just like keeping it and drafting somebody that they find interesting, right? The other interesting piece of it for Memphis, particularly, and I'm focusing on Memphis here, because I, I think they're the team that has like the most options, you know, in regard to what you just brought up. I think that because this isn't like a wing heavy draft, which is theoretically probably where I would want to look if I was them uh, in terms of trying to round out my final core piece. There's one guy like I, I really like Zach Rizache. Like I think he'd be fantastic for them uh, as like a floor spacing, you know, defensively conscious uh, six foot nine, bigger wing that really, really, really would work for them. But once, once you get beyond him and like maybe Cody Williams as well, there aren't a ton of like really, really great wings in this class you know ron holland is a guy that is quite flawed steph castle is a guy that's quite flawed at this point and are certainly worthy you know top 15 top 20 picks in a normal draft but like there there are real questions about both of those guys that you know if you're drafting a last guy theoretically you're drafting for fit around stars especially in memphis's case with john morant jaron jackson desmond bain Try, trying to figure out what somebody like them would do is really interesting. Trying to figure out what somebody like Houston would do if they were to get lucky and like drill this Brooklyn pick <laughs> with the Brooklyn, you know, Nets just going on. I think they're what, like four and four, four and 15 now in their last 19. So it, it's it's re, re, the teams at the bottom like you're just like yeah like okay we'll just take the best player we just need to find talent it's the teams like kind of in that middle group where if they were to really jump up and you know cause havoc on lottery night th- th- those are the teams where i'm like oh wow like this could go a number of different ways at the top where these teams would really be drafting for fit around stars and like we could get like kind of a weird number one situation that's a great point and something else that to consider is that if this ends up being more of a flat class, meaning like the picks aren't super valuable and the players aren't super differentiated, then that could make it easier for a Memphis to move to get the guy that they want. Assuming that yeah. the team who picks number one or number two doesn't want that specific player. 
and we can get into a little bit of the weeds here. Like I, th- this is a group that, you know, I try to follow things pretty loosely before I start to watch film, but where there have been a couple players who like have hit my radar at different moments in time that have been kind of delightful. And one of them is uh, Zachary Richachet, which was like, you know, I love long limb French dudes. Like that's just something that's yeah. been a weakness for me for a decade now. Usually they're bigs, not wings, but Richachet, like from what I understand, it's like he's kind of a complimentary cog, like not an elite athlete, can do a little bit of a lot of things like a capable defensive player a capable ball handler and he's been shooting it relatively well in the french league from what i understand so yeah first of all is that understanding correct and second of all like yeah you'd love for him to be an elite athlete but that general skill set for a guy who has credible size is really compelling for a lot of teams in a draft without a ton of of like high ceiling high floor guys yeah 100 percent. and honestly like i've been really strongly looking at rizache like as my potential number one guy here for a minute because like you said six foot nine he's shooting like a billion percent from three this season (laughs) uh, in euro cup competition in french league Uh, i think the number is actually like 48 percent on like maybe four or five attempts per game something like that he was always a guy that had touch but like never had great mechanics he was at hoop summit last year and didn't seem to get like great shot prep or bend in the shot and then additionally like kind of had like a flat release in the trajectory would be flat but it's clear that he always had touch and it's clear that like he like the ball came out of his hand softly even though the mechanics were bad and the trajectory was very flat and like it didn't it looked really ugly at the time you could see the way that it came out of his hand was quite soft and like you could see how that could at one day create a real shooter it has created a real shooter in a real substantial tangible way now because he's done just like great work particularly on his shot prep in my opinion uh you look at how he gets into his shot now his feet are always set he's ready he can do some stuff off of movement now he's just a really really impressive shooter to where you're six foot nine you're a really really good help defender in his case like he is an impactful help defender across the back line particularly uh just does a great job keeping his hands up very anticipatory does a great job of making sure that you know his limbs are in passing lanes making sure that he's keeping big on that end and also making early rotations uh on the ball they'll use him on like guards in the french league he gets beat sometimes but being 19 years old and being able to like be switchable in some respect in that regard is intriguing uh the, the problem is there's just no suddenness to him athletically. Mm-hmm. Like he is not a great, you know, it's not that he's a bad athlete. Like he has good body control and things like there are different parts of athleticism. He's just not explosive. And when it translates to his on ball game, there's just not a lot of juice there. Like he can actually like kind of handle the ball a little bit and be able to do some things. He just struggles to separate from his man. Can that improve? I mean, look, we had these conversations about Brandon Miller. I think Brandon was way ahead of where Riz is in regard to his, you know, dexterity and ball screens, understanding like how to come off of a ball screen, uh, how to keep a guy like locked on his hip. Miller was just way ahead in terms of like his uh, handle and like his ability to operate half court, you know, ball handling reps. I have been like asking the question of a few scouts though. Like, Hey, look, I I think Brandon Miller is a better prospect. I want to be clear about that, Mm -hmm. but like explain to me why you think Brandon Miller is a drastically better prospect than Zach Rizache. And they'll explain it is really just the self-creation. That is the reason why. But then you think about like Brandon Miller was, you know, close to 18 months 
older than Rizache coming into the NBA. And, you know, I, I say all this to say that I, I think that Rizache is a really, really interesting prospect that I will be fascinated to see how it continues to grow over the course of the next little while and how he looks in workouts and how he looks in his first NBA year, getting him into NBA spacing. Cause I think that could actually really open some things up. Uh, a popular name for him has been Franz Wagner for people. Mm. Uh, I don't think he is nearly as polished in ball screen situations as Franz was, uh, or as a like, passer in a lot of respects. Again, I think Franz, you know, you go back and you watch some of the Franz tape and it's definitely more polished in regard to some of the creation. But if you tell, told me you're getting like a lesser Brandon Miller, Franz Wagner in a class that doesn't have like a lot of exciting players, th- that's like a pretty good player to bet on i think at the end of the day he's the player so far from what i've heard that i'm most excited to watch film on just because i'll I'll get a better read on this and and the the comparisons i mean the idea that he could be like a help side defender is really intriguing because you think about the players who had who had some intrigue in different parts of it but didn't have the ability to defend their position and that i think is what pushes research at least conceptually i haven't i haven't watched him yet into that conversation um another Another guy that just delighted me to see that a I didn't know Jalen Williams the Santa Clara Jalen Williams had a brother much less that yeah. he had a brother who was going to be a, a prospect of some note I don't know you know obviously yet where he's going to be it's not always fair to compare a brother you know these aren't these aren't identical twins it's not the Thompson twins or anything like that is it is it f- fair to use Jalen Williams as a as a, like any sort of a reference point for Cody or are they just too different to do that with different body types but you can see the like similarities in terms of movement skill. So like Jalen is tremendous in regard to like deceleration uh, and in regard to like using his frame and his body and his physicality and then using the ability to decelerate to like bounce off of guys and like be elite level as a finisher. Right. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of like similar like decel traits with Cody Williams, I think, but he doesn't quite have that like strength of frame at this point. Uh, Cody has always been like a longer leaner athlete whereas like Jalen had like a late growth spurt like he was like you know six one six two when he committed to Santa Clara got to campus at six three and then like was six six by the time he was a sophomore right yeah. or whatever he is now like six five and a half six six whatever um and has always had like the crazy outlier length I don't think Cody has like the outlier length I think he's like somewhat long uh so the the way that they play the way they move is similar, but like they're different. Like I, I do think Jalen is a, the way that Jalen has played in the NBA, like it's hard to imagine somebody being as good as Jalen Williams is. And like sure. has been like, he would be very clearly the guy that uh, would be number three in that, you know, 2021, 2022, 2022 22. NBA draft. Class. I may be moving him higher than three. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I think that I may there's be moving a him higher him than two. No, I, I would have Chet very clearly at one. Oh yeah, that's right. I, I forgot Chet's that class. I forgot the Chet's that yeah, class. Yeah. Okay. I, I'd very clearly have Chet at one, but like Paulo and him is like a very real conversation, I think. Mm-hmm. And people don't bring it up. I think Paulo has a little bit more upside just in terms of like being an absolute fucking bully on the NBA court physically. And like Ch- Jalen is also a bully on the NBA court in his own way. Um, 
I think I would still rather have just like the Paulo size, uh, you know, ability to handle the ball. But if you if someone wanted to make a case for Jalen Williams over Paulo, I would hear it out. Uh, I don't I don't think Cody is this necessarily, but Cody is very young and he's getting better every time I see him is the other thing. Like th- these dudes, like the thing about Jalen Williams is like Jalen Williams is a dog. Like that dude is a competitor. And like, I don't, people see him off the court and they're like, Oh yeah. Like that guy's like super nice. He seems super chill. He does these like random, like unopenings on YouTube and like, seems like a totally normal person. And you know, from having talked to people around Jalen Williams, absolutely true. Unbelievable dude, like great guy, but you put him like in a competitive environment between those lines. He wants to rip your heart out in every single way. And we, I don't think we've seen that yet from Cody. I hope that Cody develops that. I don't think he's like a bad competitor at all. It's just that I think Jalen is damn near like outlier competitor. And I don't think people have recognized it yet. Uh, they should. He is a dude, is a competitor. So comparing the two is interesting. Uh, Cody's probably kind of like his own guy, though, at the end of the day. That's totally fair. And, and like the other challenge with and like, you know, like another Williams is the idea that Jalen Williams has gone so far relative to like his kind of tools. And you don't like it, it's sort of the opposite of like I've, I've used J.R. Smith for this for years where if like you got another roll of the dice with J.R. Smith's physical tools. You'd be like, oh, that player could maybe even be better than J.R. Smith was. Whereas like mm-hmm. with Jalen Williams, he does a really good job of maximizing what he does well and minimizing some of the things that he's not as great at. And so that's that's a little bit harder. And so then asking Cody, who is a different human being to be all of those things or even yeah. different things is, is a lot to ask. And so that, that's well, a real question. Like- Think think of the pathways they came up through too. Like again, like Jalen had to go to Santa Clara because like there were very few offers there. D one, right. he was small. He had to like scratch and claw and fight for everything. Cody's been like a high level prospect. He's always been the one that people thought would be the star in the NBA. So it's it's a different beast. And I'm I'm not saying that like to compare them one way or another. It's just that Cody's race is going to be very different than the race that Jalen had to run to become who he is. That's fascinating. Um, next guy I want to discuss is the player that you had number one the last time you did a big board, and that's Isaiah Collier of, of USC. And it has been yeah, bad, a challenging takes, year. Man. What? <laughs> bad takes, it has man. been a it has been a challenging year for both prominent LA schools, but USC is the topic of the discussion right now. Collier was always like, from what I recall, was always like a best case scenario could be really interesting. And yeah. is it right that what's happened is that the best case scenario just looks a lot less likely? It's hard to separate what has made Collier struggle with USC's struggles in some respect. Uh, USC does not have a great level of shooting, like really like Boogie Ellis at times is like the only guy out there with Isaiah that people think could shoot. And Isaiah is obviously hurt now. Like he has the hand injury. Um, Bronny played like a couple of games with Isaiah and teams like are willing to guard Bronny out there a little bit, but like Kobe Johnson, like the way that you play him is you try and cut off the drive. And if you get a late contest, great. Their bigs uh, can't really do much uh, mm-hmm. at all. It's, it's quite frustrating and, and annoying. The bigs have also, in my opinion, hindered Collier from a distribution and passing level like he will make like high level reactive passes and the big hands just like kind of aren't good enough a lot of the time like they, they'll just like drop passes and they'll yeah. like bobble them and things like that or they'll miss shots around the rim that he kind of feeds them so 
there, there's a lot there that I think makes Collier look a little bit worse than what he has been. Also, the turnover issue and like the wildness and like predetermining reads a lot of the time. And then like on reps where he doesn't predetermine, like, and he just like kind of gets lost, like he'll jump and not have a plan. Like jump passing's all good. Like we're all we're all here for jump passing Tyrese Halliburton, but jump passing is good when you got a plan. Like Tyrese jumps and goes up with a plan and a counter. Isaiah Collier, it seems like, does not have that at this point. So mm. he needs to showcase a little bit more control, I think. And then additionally, the shooting, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know what to make of the shooting yet. And teams don't. And he had a good start to the season. The shooting, I think the shot looks better itself. Looks a little bit cleaner than what we saw last time. But, you know, he needs to prove to teams that, are, like, he's going to be able to force somebody to go over the top of the screen and not just go under. Because if teams can go under his screens, it's going to be hard for him to make the plays that he wants. But, you know, six foot four elite downhill athlete like superb downhill athlete uh creates force in such a real way physical strong has a great first step great intersection of that speed and power uh you know he'll, he'll go somewhere i would guess in the top 20 it's sh- like like seriously like jalen hood shafino went in the top 20 last year and like way better prospect than jalen hood shafino like mm-hmm. way more interesting across the board so he'll go somewhere i think in the top 20 it's just like i think that the where exactly is going to be really interesting to track makes sense and i mean you think about what can what can happen between now and then and eye of the beholder stuff and like collier from what i understand about him like he could be somebody who the ecosystem isn't good right now and so then getting him in something different could be there but generally it takes a certain type of like mentality to get ready to ramp up to that level and then to actually make the most of it and not everybody does and that could also lead to him being a better pro than collegiate which is very possible that happens all the time too I'll open the floor to you in terms of like kind of other players that are towards the top of the top of the bill right now. Yeah. Who you think for a for a somebody who focuses more on pro basketball would be a name worth like keeping an ear out for, keeping an eye out for. Yeah, the most interesting prospect in this draft is like by far Reed Shepard. Uh interesting. No, I don't, I don't think like, I know much about him at all. I know I know you had him so, high on your last board. So Reed, Reed Shepard right now, he is a guard at Kentucky. He is listed at six foot three. I do not think he's six foot three he is like a white kid that does not have a ton of length and doesn't have like a crazy amount of explosiveness but reed shepherd currently is averaging in 26 minutes a night 11.8 points per game 4.1 rebounds 4.2 assists two and a half steals nearly a block per game uh shooting 57 percent from the field 55 percent from three and 83 percent from the line uh, what the hell and he is like he's a freshman he is the most reactive like intelligent high iq player in the country uh, i don't think there is a I- i'm like not convinced that like if you put reed shepherd in a bigger role that there'd be a better player in college basketball uh he he is outstanding when you watch him sometimes like he'll take over and play point and they'll move rob dillingham who also is a really interesting prospect in and of himself potential lottery pick uh they'll move him off the ball Sometimes they'll play read off the ball and he can make high level connective reads. Unbelievable passer, uh, outlet passer, unbelievable, uh, you know, transition player because of his ability to pull up from three, his ability to space to the corners and three, his ability to, uh, make reads when he's on the ball and find teammates at a really high level, uh, defensively outstanding. Like 
has great feet, has, I think, the best hand-eye coordination of any player in this draft, uh, and some mm. of the best hand-eye coordination I have seen point blank. He is so disruptive and tough. It's just that he's probably more like six foot one to six foot two, like a white kid that doesn't like separate all that well and is he doesn't look the part. Like let's just let's just say what it is. There are not many dudes running around the NBA that look <laughs> like Reed Shepard in terms of being this small, not having this much explosiveness, like everything. But he is so smart and understands the game at such a high level and is so skilled that teams like they're they're every every organization I've talked to has a guy that is like the Reed Shepard guy in their front office who's like <laughs> this is the dude in this class like he's the he's the man in this class maybe not the number one pick but like he's like a top five guy for sure and like I would be the Reed Shepard guy in the front office basically uh but you know then there are other people in front offices that are just like no there's nobody that looks like this like how are you gonna sell me on this working in the NBA and this being worth a lottery pick there are people that like don't think he's a lottery pick he, he is a, wow. a truly he's a truly fascinating player in a way that i can't remember there being somebody this interesting near the top of a draft that's i mean that combination of everything is really really fascinating and so like i'm thinking about his defensive role because you talked about the steal rate do you think he's a more of like a point of attack defender is he more like so th- the interesting kind of disparity here that i'll draw he's good is, at both is what you're gonna, is like, caruso, what you're gonna say is caruso versus gary payton so gary payton yeah they're both really good defenders gary payton is much better on ball than off balls i mean he has good on ball instincts yeah. caruso it depends like jared dubin did a great video on him recently about how good he can be on ball but he can also do some really good help stuff like if Shepard can do both of those things then him not necessarily being an on ball player offensively like he can make that work like you it it can get a little bit tricky but you can and when you're you know if the off ball game works as well as it might i mean like i'm looking at so he he's only taken 71 three so far but he's making 55 percent of them at 83 percent of his free throws like he he can shoot like there's no he's definitely an elite shooter like there's no concerns there that's fascinating i mean and and to have that like description that you just gave in a like the opposite of top heavy class is really really weird because then what happens is you said like there's there's a a Reed Shepard guy in every front office is does one of them listen high like because it's because basically one of the things that I'm noticing about this class and you talked about this when you wrote your board in December is a lot of these players don't really have great force and mm-hmm. if yeah. Reed Shepard has the floor of like he's definitely going to be in rotation he could potentially be like a you know maybe not a high level starter but like a valued low level starter in the league like that's not bad like that doesn't have here'd be my counter to this again like as somebody that again like i love reed shepherd i have him as a top five player in the class so i'm saying that here from the jump is his on-ball defense going to be as effective at six foot one to six foot two in the nba as it is in college when he's you know 185 190 pounds like the smaller guys that tend to work in the nba the super strong ones right right fred van vliet chris paul like guys like that guys that are like switchable and can really just like body up and do shit like that well and gary i, Payton, I brought him up like he's he's strong too yeah but like gary, gary's gary's big though like gary's like True. six four yeah. or so like that, that's yeah, the difference that's like same with caruso like Crusoe six five. Like th- there are a lot of guys that are in that like six foot four to six foot five range. Like Bruce Brown is 
probably what six four let's call it yeah, six four um, i believe yeah where you can swing it kind of like you, you can make it work because they're just big enough and just long enough reed is six foot one to six foot two probably with you know a six foot three ish wingspan let's say do teams just try and switch guys onto them all the time like if you're the clippers do you think Kawhi leonard has recourse or like do you think he has recourse against Kawhi leonard like with his hand-eye coordination to be able to do anything against him when Kawhi just puts his fucking shoulder into him and goes yeah good luck guy good luck buddy <laughs> so it's there are going to be guys that i think reed can be successful against but then there are going to be matchups where i think he's going to really struggle uh, like on uh, on defense so I, I, there, there's just so even when you dive into the intricacies of reed shepherd it's fascinating like trying to figure out where everything sits is so hard to determine um i just bet on like elite feel elite skill and just say all right if i'm going down with the ship in this class i'm going down with the guy that i know how to play no knows how to play basketball and is elite as a shooter and works his ass off defensively and fights and yeah give me give me reed i guess but like it's it's fascinating to talk to different people about him that's true. And even you can think about like the limitations with somebody like Dante Exum and like, and Exum yeah. was a, was a legit athlete. He's also bigger too. Like he, Exum, I think is like Dante six, is six, six five. Yeah. yeah. Dante is big. And so, and long. So like, yeah, it is, right. it is an archetype, like a, a player, a player development arc that we just haven't seen and could work. Oh, that's really, really, really fascinating. Uh, I've been trying to, get- to ask for a long time. Like I, I ask everybody that I talk to, who do you think is the guy that reminds you most of Reed Shepard? Uh, I've gotten everything from like the bigger guys, like, uh, like, you know, Derek White is a name that came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone brought up George Hill to me. I thought that was kind of interesting, but George was so long um despite being like six two or whatever uh someone brought up kirk heinrich to me i think that was Corey Tolaba. he's in the public space i'll shout out Corey. um that was an interesting one i thought and then like other people will bring up like someone brought up uh austin reeves to me mm-hmm. um but he's, he's a better shooter than austin is smaller than austin um and then like someone brought up like the why is he not uh smaller like tyrese halliburton in terms of the passing and playmaking and shooting like why is he not uh you know jalen brunson type and i'm just like i i don't think he is but i'm not gonna sit here and fight you on it because i think that (laughs) the guys that have tended to break out in the recent nba above like you know what their physical tools might uh, maybe not even like physical tools but the guys that have tended to break out in the nba recently in my opinion are more the like feel skill intersection guys as opposed Mm -hmm. to the like you know elite level tools guys uh shay has like a combo of both right but halliburton uh you know Derek White, I would argue, is like more uh, feel and skill. Uh, You know, Jalen Brunson, uh, guys like that, like these guys that are not necessarily wildly explosive. Some of them have great physical tools, but not always. Uh, Tyrese Maxey has great speed, but I would argue that like his thing is more just like intersection of shooting and like improving as a feel guy. So Mm -hmm. to me, like these guys that are elite in regard to the skill feel combination, I don't like 
to put ceilings on them because we've kind of seen that ceiling broken time and again in this era of the NBA in like a real way. It's a really important point. And like, I mean, the idea of Halliburton and I, I mean, I'll have to watch Shepard's video myself, but like you can, if you're a really good passer and have good instincts, there are a lot of different things you can do. And, and Halliburton is bigger and that size does help him as a passer, but it doesn't help him as a defender necessarily. Like he's, he's still very no. limited in that respect. And like Halliburton's not in the traditional athletic senses. Like he's, you know, he's thin. He's not, um, he's not necessarily the most agile dude in the world, though. He's not bad. Like he's just, it, it is really interesting. And like what that I love players who challenge our notions of like what, what profiles and what doesn't, because like yeah, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't like, we're going to see this with a man Thompson at some point, you know, like the idea of, of, of like he's, he challenges the notions in a different way and like whether that's going to work or not going to work. Um, Lots more to discuss, but first, a message from FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapped up, but there is still time to get in on NFL action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITHIT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in, Indi- in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Another player I wanted to discuss, at least briefly, it is super weird to have like the what I at least from what I understand to be the best player in college basketball, just be in kind of a different conversation. That's Zach Eady, like Eady having yeah. another dominant year for Purdue. But basically, my question is, is there really we know he's such a known commodity at this point for both college circles and NBA circles. What is he doing? What could he be doing to fundamentally change his place in the NBA conversation? Yeah, I don't really think he has, to be honest. Um, I, I know that, you know, like, so, so like John Cavoni, like moved up Zach to the lottery. Right. And I think that got like a big push from people that were like, oh, this is amazing. This is super cool. Like this outlier guy that is seven, four, um, you know, he's potential lottery pick. I'll, I'll be honest. Like I haven't talked to a team yet that sees Zach in that range. Um, 
there are teams that see him as a potential first rounder for sure. And frankly, like I, I have Zach Eady right now as like a late first round pick. And I think that if Zach Eady would have stayed in last year's draft, which was by and large a stronger draft than this one, I think he would have been picked in the thirties. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he just decided to go back to Purdue, Purdue um, seemingly at least put together a great NIL package. And, you know, Edie is the best player in college basketball. And I think that, you know, maybe he didn't have a great taste in his mouth after they lost to a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament, literally punched a hole in a um, whiteboard, if I remember correctly. Like, (laughs) I think there are plenty of reasons why Zach probably wanted to go back. Also, I think that what you're saying by and large is right, that the conversation around him hasn't changed all that much. He's essentially having the same year he had last year. It's just that this is a slightly worse draft than last year. Significantly worse at the top, but like even as you go down through depth wise, like I think it's a worse draft. And I think that is slid Zach up the, you know, up the range a little bit. So yeah, like I'll I'll end up with Zach somewhere 20 to 30, but um, yeah, like I, I haven't talked to a team that sees him as much more than like a, you know, 20 to 30 guy. It's also just, I mean, he's, you, we talked about how, like how Reed Shepard is, is pushing against stuff like super tall guys who don't really move very well are it, you know, they, they have a tough track record in the modern NBA and, and it'd be great to see somebody defy that. And, and inevitably we, we, we do in certain forms and we will continue to, but like you're, you're betting on an outlier in that way too. Like it, it doesn't have to just be the like short, the short dude who isn't necessarily a great athlete. It can be the, the tall guy guy who has specific limitations too yeah no that's absolutely right like zach's are can he move in ball screens i think zach has done a great job over the last couple of years of becoming a really good positional drop coverage defender in college also the court is a little bit smaller in college in drop situations and i worry about guards who are quicker in the nba being able to turn the corner on him in NBA spacing in a way that they aren't necessarily capable of at Purdue. Uh, Like I, 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 that's what it's all going to come down to for Zach. Like I I think Zach is going to be able to establish position against almost any big in the NBA. He's that strong. Like, yeah, it won't be the easiest thing in the world when he's battling against Steven Adams. Right. But also he is four inches taller than Steven Adams, (laughs) which is wild to think about. And he has a wingspan that I think is eight inches longer than Steven Adams is like he is an enormous, enormous dude. And the other thing about him, he plays fucking mean in the best mm-hmm. way. Like I've talked to that kid. I've talked to him for a while. Um, Like I've talked to him for like an hour, hour and a half. And he is the nicest. Like he is laid back. He is an, a really awesome kid. Also, when he gets on the court, he is mean. He is physical. He is just like he is the best screener in college basketball. Truly. And I mean that like he, he is awesome as a screener. He has figured out like how to flip screens. He makes contact on every single damn screen. He absolutely wants like to have that physicality. Like he played hockey growing up for a little while. He kind of brings that a little bit to basketball. I uh, I think like baseball was more his thing. Like he was a pitcher when he was younger too, but like he played hockey for a minute there too. And like, he likes, he liked hitting people when he played hockey. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a thing. Like he, he plays with that kind of physicality. And those are the kind of guys that I think have some success uh, in the NBA, at least on some level. One of the things that I think about with Edie 
is this idea that, you know, going back years is that I've always, and, and he, I'm not putting a ceiling on him. I haven't watched a lot of film other than just as I see yeah. Purdue here and there. Um, I always love it when a second unit, you know, whether you go full bench or you go mixed lineups, depending on how you want to run things, has a theory of how they're going to like score. And so yeah. one of the older school ones, and, and you could use, there are a lot of different players you could go back to in time, is like a guy who can do post-ups and high pick and roll. And so the idea is like, and as a backup, there are so many different ways that teams use the center spot now. Like there are, there are some teams that go really small there, like the Oklahoma City Thunder do. There are some teams that go bigger there. And what I'm intrigued by with the concept of Edie, more I'll have to do the actuality at some point, is that he can be that big man focal point there. And maybe the limitations for him will make it so that he's a tough fit as a starter. And I've thought about this a lot in terms of the point guard spot too, because generally, generally speaking, your wings are your backup wings are going to be bad. Like that's just the way the league works. There aren't enough good ones to be starters. So then, you know, the backups are going to be weak. And so that means you're generally looking for your identity elsewhere. And so that's why I think it's the five and the one. And Edie might end up being that natural foil, being that player who you, you put him with a, maybe even a low ceiling, but a capable high pick and roll point guard. And you just make those things work. Ideally you get maybe a little bit of spacing, you get a little bit of athleticism and you just see where it goes. And that's, you know, that's not the player you'd probably take at five, but it could be a player you're happy with at 25. Do you know where he'd be great? Boston. I like it. Boston like, would you be don't... fantastic because they have like a bunch of guys that can run ball screens for him. He can seal and do stuff. They everybody on their team around him can shoot. Basically, I, I kind of have another that, team. Yeah, go Oklahoma ahead. City. Oklahoma City would really work for him, I think, as well. They wouldn't do it because a big thing for them is like having all of they like to play five out, like everybody being able to dribble pass shoot. So I don't think they would do it just because like that seems to, like this. This was why they had Darius. Baisley and Isaiah Roby and guys like that playing the five for years upon years and their theory behind drafting Alexei Pokashevsky and everything like that. Like they, they want all five positions to be able to dribble past shoot or at least like bring something to the table in that regard at the center position. And Zach can't do that. But in theory, you're right that that would be a great idea for them, like to have that counter breaker to be able to do that. It'll be it'll be fun to see what happens with him. Um, the other the other guy, I mean, I'm, there are a lot of other ones we can discuss, but the other one yeah. that I remember being high on your list and that I've been interested in is Nikola Topic, who's playing right now. Yeah. He he he's at Red Star, right? He got he got um yeah. So he uh, signed with Red Star originally, got loaned to Mega, and then once he balled out for Mega. <laughs> decided to go back <laughs> and play for red star um and red star recalled him is what happened sorry i, I don't mean mm-hmm. it was i'm sure there was like a negotiation like you know topic's agent is uh mishko raznatovich and mishko is like the most powerful uh agent in that region and i'm sure that there was like a real conversation on like what is best for everybody and topic kind of decided what he wanted but you know red star thought they could use him and you know up until he got hurt like they were playing him at least and it was interesting there are the standard kind of questions so topic bigger guy big bigger you know kind of can be a creator is a capable passer from what i understand but it's can he create separation or is he so good at the like screen manipulation stuff that it'll work yeah so 
he does a lot of ISO stuff and a lot of mismatch stuff in the Adriatic League, where or did where teams in that league generally switched a lot onto Mm -hmm. him and just like tried to let him beat them. And he did. And like, he didn't need a screen to do it. Like he was able to just like beat mismatches. I'm really interested to see how that translates to the NBA. I don't know if I have a great answer for it yet. Uh, It might really work where he just like takes a ball screen. If they switch, like we'll go and he can just get to the rim. It might be that like NBA bigs are more athletic than Adriatic level or Adriatic league level bigs. And he struggles to maintain that same separative ability. I don't know. Like the answer is I, I truly just don't know what it's going to look like. Um, How is he as a shooter? That's the swing skill is the shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite inconsistent right now. I think his footwork is what tends to let him down a little bit. Um, doesn't kind of get into the shot the same way every time. Uh, if he can fix that, I'm quite interested. And most guys can fix like footwork things with shooting. It's, yeah. you know, it's when you like have like some funky like body mechanics release wise uh, that the concerns come in but the shooting is like the main he has touch it's just like can he consistently knock them down and what's hard with topic is like you you brought up the jump shot being a swing skill is it go i mean i i get this is the second time we get to invoke dante because i'm in this podcast it's that if you can't do the thing you're best at at an nba level then it Mm -hmm. becomes a lot harder to be valuable and like you could think about how much it's taken for xm to grow and like you could even and i mean as good as vasily misic is or you could bring up various different players if you're like a the guy the the guy topic reminds me a lot of is milos teodosic actually okay yeah like there's a lot of prime i wish we'd gotten prime teodosic in the nba but that that that's neither here nor there Not, not quite as wild as milos was and like not as like milos was like freaky creative and still is if you watch him like he is insanely creative still but the the movement patterns like kind of kind of similar in that regard and i think he is like a more skilled scorer and like he's i think he's longer than teodosic is like i think that he can get paint touches a little bit easier than milos could um but yeah like the key like i would have loved to have seen milos when he was young like playing in the nba we didn't get milos in the nba until he was what uh 20 2017 he was 30 by the time he got to the nba yeah and, and with a player like Tadosic, that the athleticism that had declined, that actually made a bigger difference. I mean, it's, it's something that people lose sight of sometimes. They're like, oh, well, if the guy's not that athletic in the first place, it doesn't matter. Oh, no, it matters more a lot of the time because then they don't yeah. have that. Then because then they can't like stay, they can't get the separation. They can't, they can't stay in, in front of their man defensively and all that. Now, those were both big problems for Milos when he was in the NBA. So, yeah, that'll be. It'll be interesting to see what Topic what Topic can do, and like it's again like you for for people who are less who are less familiar. I mean, even I'm less familiar with a lot of these guys. There is so much of this, not only eye of the beholder, but like what am I beholding type of an idea <laughs> that's really fascinating about this class, where it's yeah. like there there are elements of even if I'm evaluating this prospect correctly. I also need to be evaluating the league correctly or evaluating my team correctly. And that's what's really different. Like you could think about a player like Paolo or you could think about even Jabari Smith, who's having a a much better year this year. Like where you you kind of if you thought you evaluated them correctly as a player 
things would make sense. That's right. not what this is. It appears with like basically any of these guys, even with like research Shea, we were talking about how he like, he kind of may, may fit in a different box, but like, it's remarkable how consistent that is with these guys. Like every single one of them is some weird version of a box breaker. It really is. Like we haven't even talked about the guy that like, I think is the favorite to go number one right now. Like if, if you made me pick one guy that I think like, if I, if I had to place a bet on a player going number one right now, I would probably say Alex R. Uh, so like Alex R, the player he reminds me most of is if you gave Nick Claxton like the potential to shoot. Uh, okay. Really interesting player in theory, right? Like mm-hmm. really, really interesting player. Uh, SARS jumper has great touch. Like he gets great trajectory on the ball. Very high arcing jumper. Um really you can buy it one day that he will shoot also he has a lot of side spin on the ball because i think he has a lot of offhand stuff there Mm -hmm. and the results are not consistent at all it it, so it's like how how much do you want to buy into him potentially being able to shoot at some point because if he's a shooter that can be the defensive game breaker that he has potential to be due to his movement skill i think you do take him at number one in this class uh if he is a guy that you don't trust to shoot i think some of the other things that pop up in his game like he's not a phenomenal rebounder uh he is mm, from a rolling perspective there are moments where it looks good but largely he's gonna like not make contact on screens he's gonna like try and ghost and pop he's gonna try and like pop and like dribble drive maybe he has some i'm I'm scared of this film already he has like he has some real ball handling ability like at seven foot one but like like people want to try and use like the like Chet Holmgren, Victor Wembanyama, like those kind of guys for Alex. And I, I think those are a great like aiming point for Alex. I, I like if I was Alex's trainer, I'd be like, yeah, like watch these guys. Like you, you should watch these guys. Also, I would have him watch guys that like make contact on screens and like really, you know, try and create that like separation a lot of the time. But defensively, he's like unbelievable. Like he flies around the court. His ground coverage is truly elite. He is an elite mover. Uh, and he is seven foot one with a seven foot five wingspan. Like there are a lot of tools there. It just really depends on how you evaluate the offensive game. And there are a lot of positives that you can look at into the future, potentially with him as an offensive player and a lot of question marks that you can raise and wonder if it's ever going to get there. I also like from your description, one of the things that intrigues me, and this is, you know, going back to Claxton and everything else is the idea that the versatile skinny tall dude is actually potentially valuable where the like, I, I think that there's a little bit too much focus on can you defend Jokic? Can you defend Embiid right now? And if you can fulfill different responsibilities, if you're system versatile, scheme versatile defensively, then teams can set it and forget it. But the other part, you, you and I, over- do, do you know the, the teams that the teams that matter for if you can defend Jokic or Embiid are the teams that they have to play in the playoffs? Right. Like, and, and, and he, but even then, like, I think the general truth that we've seen is that unless you have an AD or somebody like that, your A, it's going to be a team effort, but typically it's not actually going to be your five. It's going to be your four. Or if you have a super duper strong three, and then you 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 do the so old so Celtics like, Robert Williams thing. This this is the team where like this is a concern right now is Oklahoma City, right? Like Oklahoma City is going to get wrecked by Jokic as presently constructed in a playoff series because their four man is Jalen Williams. <laughs> I yeah. love Jalen. He's too small to deal with Nicola. Uh, he'll like Nicola will put him into the basket at the end of the day. Uh, Jalen is very strong. 
but he'll shoot over the top of them and put them in the basket. That's just the reality. Uh, they need to go find a body, in my opinion. Like uh, whoever Zach, you want to, a Zach Eady. Well, I was gonna say like they need to find it this year because I think they could win the title yeah, this year. They, they, they could, they could be good. Yeah, but like it's you know, be it Wendell Carter, Daniel Gafford, whoever, what ex center on the potential theoretical trade market du jour, right? Find that guy. The guy that I think they should try and get is probably Wendell Carter because Wendell Carter, if you go back and you watch his tape, weirdly has had some success against Jokic and you could theoretically still play five out with him and Chet on the court together. But the other piece of it is for Oklahoma City, do you care? Do you just let Jokic go fucking nuts and say, we're going to out offense you guys because our offense is better than your offenses. And that's, I think, an interesting conversation for them particularly because they have a top three player in the league right now, in my opinion, in Shea. They are one of the few teams that has a center the teams actually have to close out on. Like, right. you can't get a late closeout on Chet. Like, even Brooke Lopez, teams mostly are pretty good like getting a late closeout on Brooke Lopez. Uh, they do stay attached to him a little bit more than other centers, but like Miles Turner. Miles Turner, teams are good getting a late closeout on Miles Turner. With Chet, you have to stay attached. That opens up driving lanes everywhere for them. Every single place for them. Especially if they're able to play lineups with somebody, you know, replacing Josh Giddy, who I am interested in long term. But like in a playoff series, what teams will do is kind of similar to what teams throughout the season have done. The Celtics, the Rockets stand out particularly both. They put their center on Josh Giddy and said, you know, go nuts everybody else. We're just going to have our center stay in the paint and try and cut off these drives right if they go get a real shooter and a real big they can win the title i think is where i'm at okc is fascinating and i agree with you like i mean i did a pod with, with matt moore recently where i talked about how they're like their title window is it, it'll be probably more open a year from now but it's open now i mean shay we'll, no, i still want to see now. what what he'll what he'll yeah. do as a playoff player is still a big question like we you don't generally see teams this playoff inexperienced go all the way in one year but they have the talent like that's yeah that's that's completely fair and the west is a very weird place right now so like how, how they could do that i mean denver's still very good they got that nice win over boston um on i believe that was friday yeah. and, and to be clear denver would be my title favorite right now i'm not saying mm-hmm. that the thunder are like sure. the favorites to win the title their window is open though i think that's fair and 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 the other part of it for from okc's perspective which is just such a ridiculous luxury is they have so many resources both spending power and draft picks and you could even say some young players of interest that aren't essential to what they're doing, though I don't know how in, how motivated another team would be to get a trade man or something like that. Because the guys that, the guys that you need to keep, you need to keep. But they could get Wendell Carter. They could get maybe you want a shooter with a little bit more heft than Isaiah Joe, though I love Isaiah Joe, and not just be pot committed for the next five years. Like that, they have the ability to do that. And first of all, I will say this very openly. If Wendell Carter is available for a reasonable price, there should be about 20 teams trying to get him. Like that's the, yeah. even though he's, he, you know, like he doesn't probably match the threshold. We've talked about a lot over the years of like the, the centers that like are so good, they have to close. He is one of the better centers who might not fit that description and has the talent to maybe eventually get there or to just be good enough. Like this is the old like Bam Adebayo thing, which is like that 
choice never mattered for him because why would you ever sub him out? And like, I'm not for, saying he'll be as good as Bam, but for Wendell, like, it doesn't matter because he's cheap enough to where you can have him. Yeah, not exactly. close and He's cheap. And, he's cheap enough, and like you can do a bunch of different things with him defensively. And so, like for OKC, like you could get him and not break anything. And like, and and but for other teams too. Like, I mean, I think he's he's a better version of what some teams are doing. And I know this year has been hard. Uh, I still believe in him. Uh, a pretty aggressive. And, and by the way, like for the magic i kind of have liked what they've done with goga more than i've liked wendell for them like i think that goga's level for those first probably 20 games particularly um i think it's probably been a little bit worse recently but like goga's level for those first 20 games i thought was probably better than anything i've seen from wendell uh in terms of the way that they've operated as a team with that guy in the middle uh goga's rim protection i think is such a substantial deterrent for everybody that he's like kind of a necessity almost like you you need like a great rim protector i think next to paulo not like a wendell carter level rim protector who is good but is like more of a multifaceted versatile defender who you can do a few different things with and who can guard one-on-one on the block and who can uh move his feet like in different ways and ball screens and things like that what they do with the big position moving forward is like an incredibly interesting question to me for them it is and it's not the only one because i'm wondering when they're gonna you know they had they again have the resources to get a more dynamic offensive guard and i love Suggs, and if he can stay on the floor like i think Suggs can be a part of a good team and you know like you can lean more on paulo and franz than most teams if not any team can on their three and four offensively other than like i guess a lebron team or something like that but I still think they need a best offensive player. And the the good news for the Magic is they can absolutely do that. Like they have the resources available with spending power and everything else. It's And then there's a whole other podcast that we could do on this point because it's like it's the Magic, potentially the Jazz, potentially a few other, the Spurs, where it's like that's their biggest need. But the big problem is it doesn't seem like there are new guys coming into the league who fit that. And then the players who fit that description of being like the best offensive player on a top 20 offense aren't going anywhere for right now. That will change. But for right now, those guys aren't going anywhere. You brought up the Jazz. Are we like certain beyond belief that Laurie Markkinen is not that guy? I am not certain. I think he could be. I mean, there have been times yeah. where, well, or where he he is the guy who is so good at what he does that you can have a twenty to thirty point guard and still be damn good. Like that, yeah. I think is is yes. completely fair. And I mean, the Jazz during this run have been extremely impressive. It's gone under the radar because they've gone from being towards the bottom of the league to towards the middle, and those yeah. kind of I think it was something like fifteen and five or fourteen and five something like that and with some really big wins but it is it's a lot to ask historically like the the idea and and i'm sure this is how danny Ainge is going to think about it is like you might as well try to get that player anyway and they they again have massive resources to do it if they want to but they may and and this is and it sounds like from what i've heard you may have better sourcing on this that like the jazz would be totally fine losing their pick this year um because it's a weaker draft and because then that kind of clarifies things moving forward because they have this top 10 pick that they owe but it's really fascinating because they may be at the point like where they're going to need their volume in terms of resources because they're a little bit too good with their own stuff to get the premium player, whatever year that player happens to come in the draft. Like getting from the 10th pick to the second pick is generally extremely hard, especially if it's a draft that has a player that you think is worthy of it. 
Yeah, that's kind of the issue is like you can't really even do that if there's a guy that's like worth it unless you're moving another well, yeah. star. Well, like exactly. like you, I think last year like I don't know if they would have moved Brandon Miller for Scoot Henderson at two. I'd be interested to find out, but like it yeah, seems that, like that, that, that's the the, in, the Ingram for number two or number three discussion is one of those that I ultimate recent fly on the wall. Like how much did the Pels discuss it? What 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 were the Hornets not the Hornets? Well, the Hornets or the Blazers willing to accept? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, I know, right? It's a fun one. It's a really and really like fun and one like, like everyone would lie to you. Like everyone who was in that room is going to be because of the people involved and everything like that. Uh, the last brief thing I want to do with you is I don't want to go in depth on these guys, but you and I both were high on the 2023 draft class. Yeah, it's been a it. weird, it's been a weird start, but are there any, the way I think the, just the short version of this conversation is, are there any players who your feel your evaluation is significantly different on right now than it was in June? Look, I, I tend to be pretty patient on this stuff. Like even like Scoot's probably the one we're talking about most just because Scoot is the player that like people are melting down about in this regard. Right. Uh, I am not in any way worried about Scoot because if you look at the track record of teenage guards that were one and dones that come into the league, do you know how many good ones there have been, Danny, in the last decade? Do you know how many like good, legitimately like solid rookie point guards there have been that were teenagers and one? And oh, done? like none. There's there's one. It's it's one player. Now you look like you kind of want to guess, so I'm going to let you guess. No, it's fine. You can. It's Trey Young. Trey, Trey was really oh, sure. good. Okay. Trey, Trey was great as a rookie. Um. But these guys that are like six foot four or shorter, they come in and have to literally run the show as a fucking teenager. It's hard. It's very hard. Like De'Aaron Fox was one of the worst players in the NBA as a rookie. He is now currently an all NBA caliber player. He made the all NBA team last year, probably should make it again this year. Darius Garland, I think was probably one of the worst players in the NBA as a rookie. He made the all-star team in 2022 uh, and has consistently been been very very good uh since then he's been all-star quality right uh russell westbrook very much super inefficient could get where he wants to struggled in the same way that scoop did as a rookie kobe white it took kobe white five years to come around because kobe was quite young when he came into the nba it, it took conley a while it took mike um, conley a very long time as a teenager rookie one and done uh kobe white by the way over his last 30 games 22 points five rebounds five assists shooting 48 43 83 like oof. yeah he's doing he's and, been, and the bulls and the bulls have been winning and they've been playing good offense generally during that stretch exactly right like these teenager guards that come in there is no more difficult thing that we ask in the NBA than a teenager who is a point guard to come in and run a show. Uh, Scoot, I think, has not looked good, undeniably. Uh, but these guys never look good. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, my point. It's, it's like, a great point. John Morant and Tyrese Halliburton, two guys that came in and looked good. They had two years in college to figure it out. Or, you know, yeah, John Morant had two. Tyrese kind of had like one and a half, but had like a full off season of college to figure it out. Um, it, it takes these guys a long time. Now, where I will say I was like kind of wrong on Scoot was I thought that his finishing would be better uh, than what it is. And what I think that I and other scouts are learning through the G League Ignite is that the G League is not a very good league to evaluate from. 
because a there's no real size on the interior like anybody who's in the united states outside of jay huff seemingly uh if you have size and you can protect the rim you are probably not in the g league you're probably on an nba roster um you look around there's just not a lot of them there uh there's not a lot of size that you learn how to finish around uh number two because there isn't a lot of continuity among rosters where guys are coming up and coming down guys are you know on assignment and then the guys that are on assignment probably have the biggest roles uh because they're you know parent club want to see them rock in some way shape or form so there's no role continuity there's no roster continuity a lot of the time it creates very strange situations roster wise uh and then number three the defensive continuity is just not very strong in the league because of any of that either and i don't say this to disparage anybody in the g league but also number four they're not really playing for anything from a team perspective like all due respect like nobody really cares who wins the g league championship like i I think that it was Philadelphia and uh, Houston's G League teams in the title last year. I don't know that like everybody on in those front offices would know that like their team was in the G League title last year. <laughs> Maybe I'm underestimating that, but like it's just not a thing. But you're not playing for anything competitive. Is my point. You're playing for a call up, which is different. It's a different kind of competitiveness. It's a different kind of like frankly like in some respect selfishness because you're playing for yourself as opposed to a team so the g league is not a great league to evaluate from is kind of my point here and i think where i probably missed on scoot early on is that i thought the finishing would be a little bit better i thought he had great craft i thought he showcased some real like touch around the baskets and inside hand stuff that was creative um i thought that his below the rim footwork uh to create an angle on rim protectors was very crafty and interesting but it's just clear that like it's taking him a minute to adjust to nba length in a real substantial way so he doesn't really have any way because he's still learning how to shoot and oh by the way like the shot i think has been in the important respects better than what i thought he's shooting like 22 or 25 percent or some shit on catch and shoot threes right now he's shooting 39 percent from three on pull up threes and he's taking a couple of them per game it's interesting and like realistically that's that's the shot that matters for him and on top of it you wouldn't really expect him to be a great shooter off the catch right now because he's never done it before like he's had the ball in his hands his whole career so I still say like I'm not that yeah, worried. About that's him. that's Keontae George too. Like Keontae George, bad catch and shoot guy because he's never had to do it before. Um, which is because the footwork's totally different. A lot of other things are. So I'm not comparing. I'm not saying New York is going to be the same, but I think this is a worthwhile data point. Portland drafted Damian Lillard in 2012, and Lillard was finished that those early years. He was around 50 percent, 53, 51, finishing his first two years, and it was a very different NBA at that point. To be abundantly yep. clear, and Lillard's an unbelievable athlete, but Scoot is a very good athlete. He eventually, you know, was he generally lived in the 60s, other than the year where he had that ab thing and a few other things. And like it for a player who has good physical tools, I'm 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 concerned, but I'm not freaked out because that type of thing can get better. And like with Scoot there, I've been more impressed at times with his defense and like the he's not making as many of the like non obvious passes as he did in the G League film, but it's a different world. Like I'm not I'm not super freaked out. And like you said, that 
the and, passage and of he time. He lives in the pain. Like yeah. he he lives in the pain. Like he, he has lives in no the pain on issue getting to his spots. Yeah. On what he lives in the pain on what is one of the worst, like statistically one of the worst finishing teams around the basket in the history of the league. So there are some limitations there. And Scoot is of course a contributor to that, but he's also not the only one. Um the the group that I'll just briefly discuss um is actually they're all players that I didn't watch film on, which I think there's there's something to that where it's like where I just go, oh, he can play. And so that's it's a, that's yeah. not saying they're going to be stars. That's not saying anything else. Yeah. And so like that group to me includes, but is not limited to Derek Lively, Bilal Koulibaly, who I just watched. Rec- I just watched film on. I watched a game and watched them film on him recently. Um, I'm still trying to figure out Case and Wallace because some of his stuff is just wild. But he is a good. I think he's a good player. Hawkins shooting, I think, is completely real. Hawkins has had a really nice year. Pajemski, I don't know what kind of player he is, but he is a player. And then like there are a lot of other guys that's like they're definitely like talented adjacent. They're like, they, they might be in that realm. And so like, I'm watching more Whitmore and a few other guys, but like, that's, pretty good like you think about that these players don't always get opportunities and some of them are in favorable spots like Derek Lively but Lively's been great like it's not just you get to play with Luca and Kyrie and things go well like he has maximized a lot of the things and he has firm shored up some of the things that I going back to the hoop summit that I was like "Eh, we'll see on that and he's been great no I mean Lively keeps his game simple is a big thing like he's just valuable at rim running running the court hard in transition protecting the basket like he's really good and honestly like they haven't even gotten like wildly creative with him in ball screen coverages yet, which is where I think he can really bring value. Like he can move his feet like hard hedging, blitzing in the NBA, like on occasion. Uh, you can play him like more at the level and recover. Like a lot of the time, I feel like they just play drop because like it's kind of the easiest thing for them to do. But I think he can do more as he ages and grows and matures. I, I think Lively is going to be a really, really good defender. Um, you bring up Hawkins' is shooting. I think Hawkins' is shooting is a really good call. Bilal Kulabali, like the fact that he can hang on an NBA court is oh, yeah. so enormous for Washington. Like him being able to get these reps, get comfortable. That's where growth kind of happens, I think, is when you can get on the court and you can adjust to the speed of the game and you can understand what it looks like. Kulabali is like not doing anything on the ball he's not doing like his, his role is so minimal in what they ask him to do compared to other nba players but just getting to see it and getting to experience it and the fact that he's not taking anything off the court for them in my opinion at least uh mm-hmm. when he's out there is such a benefit to what he's going to be able to bring uh long term to the wizards like he he is going to be awesome he if i had to redraft he would go i think a little bit higher uh than certainly where i had him i had him like you know somewhere in the lottery like 11 or 12 or so um i I would have him higher even though he hasn't necessarily showcased it i think that like the shooting the defense is going to really translate for him and then hopefully that's where growth can happen with some of the latent flashes that you see of him on the ball it's gonna be fun and like he had so i watched the this morning i watched the spurs whiz game from i think it was from saturday i I have a i have a good question for you here momentarily whenever you get done with this but continue so so basically i had this moment and part of it is like san antonio's second unit isn't great like anytime victor one but yama's not on the floor they're not always great but like there were sometimes that cool ball and his former Mets 92 teammate were on the floor together. And it was just like, 
there was this moment when Koulibaly and Obdia like were driving what became a Wizards 10 point lead that then they blew. And I was just yeah. like, this isn't a question necessarily of like the Wizards backups are better relative to other teams backups than their starters are relative to other teams starters. Like that's the old like those Kings teams when um, Fox's like on off black box ratings were so bad. That was a big part of the story. I'm not sure whether the like an Avdia Koulibaly led group is actually worse than the Wizards starters. Like I'm saying as a basketball player, like if you just swapped I think you could make a better version of them. And that's also because I've, I've, I, I feel like now I've become one of the more known Kyle Kuzma haters, but it's also the idea that like, they don't necessarily need somebody who does what he does and, and all that. But it's like the other part is like, I, I disagree and, with uh, that in their case, but I understand yeah. your point. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it's, it's interesting, but I want to get to your question. My question for you is, if you had to take Bilal or Amen Thompson right now, which one would you take long term? If you had to redraft the two of them, not saying which one has been better this year. If you had to take them both for the long term, which one would you take? Because they're both like they're interesting because they're both tools bets at the end of the day. Right. Unless. So I think that Bilal has Koulibaly has a higher expected value. Um, because I, I, you know, his jump shot is slow, but I do think that it's not bad. And like the, and the floor he, is so much higher. It's it's, it's so much higher. higher. I would still take a men because most teams you're actually more focused on not necessarily the ceiling, but the top twenty percent outcomes. And mm-hmm. if it works for a men, it is going to work at a level that is extremely exciting. And I am not yet willing to foreclose on that, even as he's shooting what like fifteen percent from three and all these other stuff. Um, because there are some real concerns and, but also like you see with the SAR too, like there, there are elements of their game that actually work really well. Like the, the instincts defensively and like some of the other stuff is, is there, and, and there, there are limitations, but it's like, I'm, I'm not like, I, I'm, it's not even betting on my board cause I didn't watch Koulibaly, but like, I think that the athleticism, like, especially because of men Thompson, like they have credible size. Like they're like, I, I think of when I watch Koulibaly in that game, I'm like, he might be more of a two. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. Just like he, he would need to get so big to be a three, like to be a straight three. He has the length for it. But like, you know, like you, we brought up Kawhi earlier with, 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 um, the Reed Shepard. Mikhail, like, so Mikhail is like the closest physical comparable to him. And Mikhail is not big and can play. But Mikhail, Mikhail, I think he's a little quicker on his feet. Maybe I, I'd be interested to see some comparisons there and watch. And, you know, I'm going to watch a lot more Koulibaly over time. Um, and Mikhail's not always the best in those matchups either. Like he, he can do a lot of things well. That's not necessarily. Um, but like a man, it's kind of like if he puts it together on offense or on defense, it's just a nasty, nasty player. Like the type of guy that breaks molds in a, in a good and a bad way. So I would go a man, but I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if a year from now I went the other way. Would you take Cam Whitmore or a man Thompson? I'd take him in um, with Whitmore. Like he's definitely like he's benefiting from not being a Villanova anymore. Like there, there are some real yes. perks there, but there still is the idea of like, well, what is he to a really successful team? And I, I think he's a good player. I think there, I think there's a ro- at minimum a rotation player in there. Like I, I put Bilal Koulibaly over Cam Whitmore for me right now, based on what I know. I, I do want to do like, Probably in the next three weeks, I'm going to do a big Whitmore film dive. Um, I just, you know, just depending on it's which a, 15, it's a wild ride, Danny. Oh, of it's course, a wild I mean, his, ride. His, the, it was a wild ride of the Villanova film. I mean, it's going to be it'll be fun. Um, but I like when it, I watch the Rockets no, like, and pieces. 
wait until you see his off-ball defense. It is yeah. He, here's the thing: he's been re, he's been much better than what I thought on the ball. Like if mm-hmm. you give him an assignment and say like we need you to stay in front of this guy, he can do it. Like he has great strength. He's strong through his chest. He's very quick laterally. Like he can do all of that. It's the awareness and like figuring out like where he needs to be off the ball, the instincts to figure it out. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And this, this class is going to take some time to shake out in terms of a lot of different factors involved. And like, there are a bunch of other guys like Keontae George and various that we can talk about and all the guys who aren't playing right now, like Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks, who's getting low level minutes on the jazz at times. And Jairus, Jairus Walker, they played him in the game where like it was between this, like the Siakam trade had happened where the trade had happened, but it hadn't they hadn't gotten the players yet right so they played jarris that game jarris hit a disgusting like left pound dribble to like behind the back pull up like wrong footed as he got into the shot realign in midair pull up three and i was like oh this is i i didn't know you could do that (laughs) it'll be fun and like and and again like this comes up and and i'm sure there's an element a trading for siakam is different than playing obi toppin but to go oh well the indiana pacers like they basically just added a guy over him and it's like if jaris walker is good enough they'll figure it out um and in time and it's going to take him some time that's not a surprise i think for the two of us who both i believe liked him that it's gonna it's gonna be there However, I knew when I opened this door, I was going to have to close it prematurely because you and I both have other things that we're going to do. So I will thank you so much for taking the time. And it's been a pleasure. Of course, Danny. Anytime. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic, and you can also listen to the Game Theory podcast that he does very frequently. I was a guest doing a trade deadline preview I think it was about a week ago, week and a half ago. Really did enjoy that. So you can check out his great work and you can follow him on social if you feel so inclined. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode in the podcast player of your choosing. If Real GM Radio is not in the podcast player of your choosing, please let me know and I'll pass it along up the chain. can also help other people find the show by leaving a rating review in the aforementioned podcast player or word of mouth or social media. Really do appreciate all that. But the biggest thing you can do for Real GM Radio or any other podcast that has them is check out our sponsors for this episode. That is FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Talked about that a lot earlier in the show. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime, Going Strong, and we are getting closer to the mock trade deadline, which is always a ton of fun. Still wrapping my head around the responsibilities and opportunities there. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic, along with Sam's, and Nate and I are doing the NBA strategy stream for League Pass, which is really fun. We'll actually be doing a game on Monday, depending on when you listen to this. We'll be doing Celtics Mavericks, should be really fun, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific, and two really good teams. It's NBA Rivalry Week, even though those teams aren't historical rivals, still really happy to do it. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'm not the greatest at replying, especially given my fatherhood obligations, but I do read it. That is something I do every day before I go to bed or often in the morning when I wake up, depending on when I'm checking my email. So I really do appreciate that. It does make the show better. So if you have something that you want to share, share. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.